Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. This episode features collector Demetrio D. Carrison. Born in Harlem, New York, he now resides in Los Angeles. In 2001, after a visit to the Studio Museum of Harlem to view an exhibition titled Freestyle, curated by Thelma Golden and Christine Y. Kim, D. decided to begin building an art collection with a particular focus on African diasporic artists. Since then, Dee and his wife, Gianna, have built an eclectic contemporary art collection which foregrounds emerging and ultra-contemporary figurative painters. Abstract, sculpture, conceptual, drawings, and photographic works are also featured in the collection. They are active patrons and sit on many art-focused boards, both past and present, to include the William H. Johnson Foundation, the Mistake Room, the Noah Purifoy Foundation, Hammer Board Advisors, and the Mike Kelly Foundation. They are committed to supporting visual artists, working with them, mentoring them, and guiding them as they navigate the visual art world. Enjoy this episode featuring LA-based collector Demetrio D. Carrison. Welcome, Dee, to my podcast. I am excited about our conversation. Thank you, Phyllis. I'm thrilled to be part of your project to document artists and participants in the art world. So when did you discover your interest in the visual arts? Wow, that's a terrific question. My interest in the visual arts started way back in my household. My dad was a collector of art, watches, and clothing, fashions. And then I was blessed to be born and raised in New York City, where the public schools routinely took us on class trips to some of the greatest museums in the world, to include the Met, MoMA, and the Museum of Natural History. So attending museums was part of my lifeblood, part of my maturation in a big city. Do you recall if there was a specific body of work that really invigorated you when you were young? As a child, I really remember those trips to the museums. And funny enough, I remember the original Studio Museum of Harlem when it was located on Madison Avenue because my dad had a church in Harlem. So as just a natural consequence of travel, I would pass the museum on on a regular basis. But I really can't put my thumb on a specific encounter with a piece. Although I will add that in going to the museums as a child, 
I never really saw a representation of myself in the museums. So I'm sure we'll get into that later. But uh, I guess that's the answer to the question. As a collector, how do you like to support artists? Well, me and my wife are collectors. But not just as a collector, and of course we love to collect art, but we serve on a number of art boards and art organizations. But most importantly, we advise artists on conversations around a sustainable career. So it sort of transcends just being a patron of the arts. What we really want to do is get artists to realize that they have power. We try to engage them in understanding and knowing their worth. And on a bigger macro level, we talk to artists about the business aspects of their practices. So what we do is we sort of organized art-focused bookkeepers, accountants. We set them up with retirement accounts, wealth management. We really try to work with these artists to understand that in addition to being an artist, your manufacturers, your wholesalers, your retailers, your employers, your entrepreneurs. And funny enough, Derek Forjor, an artist that we really love and we consider a friend, has deemed my wife Gianna the money lady. And so she's the money lady to many artists. So as patrons, we sort of transcend just that single word as a patron or collector. We try to go beyond. So that leads me to this question. Do you consider art an asset class? Well, that's an interesting question. I've been in the financial services business my entire life. And back in the day, a gallerist would call me and say, listen, D, I think you should buy this artist because it's like, it's like a stock. And I would laugh because I'm thinking to myself, art is not a stock. It is not an asset class in the same way as a stock or a bond. However, let's fast forward. Indeed, in many ways, art is an asset class. But I hasten to add that when I buy art, I don't look at the so-called asset class uh, aspect of it. And indeed, art, well, you have emerging and you have ultra-contemporary artists. The question is, is that an asset class yet? You have your Basquiat's, you have your Christopher Wool's. Well, I guess you could argue more that that's an asset class. So it's a tricky question, but... Is art an asset class? I don't know. It depends. But when I collect art, I don't really think too much of the asset class designation. What are the characteristics of your collection? Well, my collection is wide-ranging. It spans figurative painting to conceptual artists, to sculpture, drawings. In fact, when I started collecting 20-some-odd years ago, the focus was photography. And the artists at that time, which influenced my collecting, were the Bruce Tolomans of the world, Dawood Bay, Gordon Parks, Alvarez Bravo, Roy D. Carava. And that was all before I pivoted to contemporary uh, art. So I would say my collection, our collection, my wife and my collection, it runs the gamut. Does the artist's narrative influence your interest in the work? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. The narrative around Blackness and Black lives and Black experiences, 
is really a major aspect of our collecting. And that is to say, our focus is artists of the African diaspora. Now, I will say that my collection is eclectic, but the focus are around narratives of the African diaspora. Do you feel Black art can be defined? Another interesting question. That's been a subject of a lot of discussion as of late. But I would say so-called Black art cannot be defined. And the reason for that is there's no monolithic concept of Blackness. I think when artists of color, makers, produce art, they're simply reflecting or showcasing the range, depth, and nuances of Black life. So what's Black art? I don't know. We do know there's a lot of it in your house. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, there is a lot of art that is made by artists who happen to be Black. But I'll recount an experience I had. I was at a gallery dinner. And funny enough, this was a gallery dinner for Sam Gilliam. He had just had a major show with David Kordansky, where he had just signed. And I was sitting at a table with a bunch of major collectors. And the conversation was around artists. And interestingly enough, it was around so-called Black art. Well, things got kind of heated at the, at the table because as we went around the table, the people at the table were sharing their collection. So when it got around to me, I said, well, I have an eclectic collection and my art is focused on artists of the African diaspora. So one woman yells out Black art. So it really took me back. And I said to the woman, so tell me, what is Black art? Can you define that for me? Well, she was put on her heels. Now, confidentially, this woman did not know that I had been to her home. And in her home, she was a major collector. She had all of the major, very successful Black artists of the time, to include Mark Bradford, Rashid Johnson, Kehendi Wiley, Chris O'Feely, you name it, it was in her home. So when I asked her the question about, well, exactly what is Black art, she couldn't respond. So I asked her, well, let me ask you, is Black art only art that's worth over a million dollars? Well, <laughs> she didn't like that. And she had to be quiet for the rest of the evening. But my point was, exactly what is Black art? What is women art? What is uh, Native art? It's art that happens to be manufactured by a person of color, a person who's non-white. You know, so I don't understand what this whole concept of so-called Black art is. And my point at that table was to show her, hey, listen, your home is full of Black artists who somehow, some way, you don't consider that Black art. Why is that? I know you're a museum trustee. So this post-Black Lives Matters movement, do you feel the role of the museum trustee has changed? Have you witnessed change? That's a complicated question. And here's why. First of all, I feel the role of the Black trustee or Black board member is to amplify Black artists. 
amplify the black influence in the arts and to act as a change agent to institutions. And the reason for that is nationwide, artists of color, black artists, represent still around 2% in museum collections domestically. Now, there are some museums that are doing a lot better than that. I will say that the Hammer Museum is really, really doing a great job to change that. But still, when you think about it, nationwide, artists of color, Black artists represent 2% of museum collections. So I would say there's a book that I think is still relevant today. It's a book called or named Exhibiting Blackness by Dr. Bridget Cooks. She details the experience of Black artists in the institutional world. And it's a really sobering and sad expose of the experience of Black artists in our country. Her book was one of the reasons why I focused on artists of the African diaspora. So I want to change that. I want to see more artists of color in institutional collections where they belong and representing a wider audience. And as a trustee board member, I see that as my role. Can you repeat the name of the book and the year it was written? Yes. Exhibiting Blackness, African-Americans and the American Art Museum by Dr. Bridget R. Cooks. The book was written 2011. What type of pleasure do you derive from collecting art? Do you get a rush every time you buy a new piece? I really do. Art is one of my many passions. And I have to say art is one of my primary passions. So whenever I meet a new artist, whenever I see a new work, I'm truly excited and I want to learn more about the work. I want to meet the artists. I want to share the experience with my friends. I want to build an ecosystem. So to answer your question, I'm, I'm really excited whenever I'm in the presence of art. And do you have work throughout your home, bathroom, kitchen? Phyllis, work is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely everywhere. It's in the bedroom. It's in the bathrooms. It's in the living rooms. It's in the kitchen. It's, it's everywhere. It's under the bed. <laughs> artists everywhere. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when an artist comes to the home, they'll look at the walls and say, um, I think you need a piece right above that. <laughs> and so, so things get crowded out. But yes, art is everywhere. Not too long ago, I was in a situation where a collector asked a Black abstract painter how the narrative is reflected you know, because there's no Black figures in the work, how could the artist claim that it's representative? So can you comment on that? It's interesting that you asked that question because I was at Art Basel last year. And during Basel, Charles Gaines, the great artist, the great conceptual artist, I might add, had a major survey at the ICA Miami. And he discussed this exact question. And so I, I, I chuckle because in the beginning, Charles was not considered a 
artists because he didn't produce work in that so-called figurative vernacular. They couldn't describe Charles's work because here was a black man doing conceptual work. So I guess I would answer that question this way. You have Carrie James Marshall, you have Fred Eversley, you have Charles Gaines, Ed Clark, Betty Saar, David Hammonds. All of those artists produce work in different disciplines. Certainly Ed Clark, Charles Gaines, Betty Saar, David Hammonds. I mean, the work arguably is in figurative. Well, maybe David Hammonds more so, but and Betty Saar, but certainly Charles Gaines and Ed Clark, the work isn't figurative. So I don't subscribe to that. I, I think in a word, it's nonsense. So I, I guess I'll leave it at that. What do you feel is the purpose of art? Well, principally, art is an aesthetic experience for me. But apart from the aesthetics, it's the challenge, it's the narrative, it's the education. Art does all of that and probably more. So what do you feel is uh, the role of the artist? Well, I, I feel the role of the artist as makers is to reflect their world, to reflect their viewpoint, to promote their narrative. I think that's what all great artists do. They synthesize the world in their discipline or disciplines. And I think that's what every great artist does. What artists are you most excited about? Phyllis, that is a question that could get me in a lot of trouble. I know. <laughs> on many <laughs> levels. Because I'm excited about so many artists. But just off the top of my head, I would say Kwesi Bachwe, a fabulous Ghanaian artist. April Bay, another amazing artist from the Caribbean. Kim Dakers an amazing sculptor, Alterance Gumby, Anthony Akinbola, or Bumi, an amazing textile artist, Emmanuel Lord Snord Dessert, who was just in the Made in LA show hosted by The Hammer. Another artist who I think is just amazing and who is really starting to make a way in the art ecosystem is Asiri Arerina Esse. She's a Nigerian, London-born artist who resides in Amsterdam. But the through line of all of these artists is that they all showcase the depth and the nuances of the Black experience through different mediums and disciplines, whether it's painting, sculpture, textiles, gemstones, figurative or conceptual. Are there current trends in the art world that you find promising, disturbing? Well, I have to tell you that as I collect, I don't think of trends. And I know this is a big question because the question as of late, especially in the last year or so, has been, oh, figuration is dead. It was a hot trend and now it's gone. And again, when I think deeply around it, Again, I, I have to think of these Black artists, Kerry James Marshall, Fred Eversley, Charles Gaines, Ed Clark, Betty Saar, David Hammonds. These are all artists who, through 40, 50 years of making art, have 
arguably been through every trend or market excitement that you can think of. But they're all great artists. Some of them just got their flowers in the last five to 10 years, but all of them have been making art for 40, 50 years or more. And trends notwithstanding, they're great artists. So I guess I could leave it at that. So how do you find artists? Phyllis, that's another great question. And I could go on for hours about how I find artists, but let me synthesize it. It's all about relationships, 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 curiosity, energy, and serendipity. I have to say, I've been blessed to be part of an art ecosystem, which has led me to many artists' discoveries and really enriched my life. And because I have these friendships with some of the top art collectors and professionals in the world, I've been able to acquire very early some really terrific artists. And again, it's all about relationships. So to give you an example, a friend of mine, a major Seattle art collector, called me up one afternoon and asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, I'm just um, getting ready to run the beach in Orange County. He said, well, listen, what you need to do is cancel that beach run, get into your car and drive to LA to Robert's Projects. And again, I live 50 miles south of Los Angeles and I need you to buy this artist. So I'm like, okay, this guy's really influential. He's a good friend of mine, a major collector. So I listen. So I'm curious, I'm energetic. I jump in my car and drive 50 miles to uh, Robert's Projects. When I get there, Bennett, the owner and director, shows me four artworks. These four artworks happen to be by Amawako Biafo, and this was in 2019, and the rest was history. I bought a work, never heard of the artist, and that's just one example of how relationships and friendships and sharing are crucial to you know, being exposed to some amazing artists. And then I could go on. I have amazing gallery owners like Rick Garzen, who, while on a studio visit in New York City, introduced me to Kennedy Yanko and Devin B. Johnson. Every other week when Beth DeWoody is in town, we go art shopping, looking at artists, going to studio visits. And I can go on and on and on about the relationships that have led me to many amazing artists and opportunities. My good friend, Dr. Joy Simmons, other great friends, Arthur Lewis and Howe Wynn, all of these folks are amazing collectors and all of them share their experiences, which lead me to share my experiences whenever I meet new artists. You're also willing to take the risk and invest in the artists. Absolutely, Phyllis. Again, I have a discipline and a lot of my friends laugh, but my discipline is to focus, support, and collect very early emerging and so-called ultra-contemporary artists, way before they get to the Kordanskys and the Hausers and the Gagosians. That is my joy. And I might add, that's the joy of the folks that are in my art ecosystem, to find these artists early. And that has led to some amazing discoveries. Kentora Davis, 
Kalita Rawls, Diedrich Brackens, Mario Joyce. Phyllis, I can go on and on and on of the very many artists uh, that me and the friends in my art world have identified and collected and supported very early on. That is part of the discipline, part of the fun of being an early collector. So this has been a great interview, very inspirational. This is our final question. What is your role as a collector of fine art? Well, Phyllis, I I think my role is to wear many hats. I think we already discussed, you know, that of collector. Me and my wife, we're collectors. We've been collectors for many, many years. Patrons, we're on also quite a few boards. Uh, you know, I'm on the board of advisors at The Hammer. My wife is on the Mike Kelly Foundation. I'm involved as a board member with the Noah Purifoy Foundation. So there's that. But I think the biggest part of my role as a collector is to uplift and educate young artists. And they don't have to be young. They could be young. They could be mid-career. And that's where I get back to talking to artists about having a sustainable career. And that gets back to where I come from. I've been in the business world all my life, and I've learned many lessons. And I feel it's incumbent upon me to share these lessons with young collectors especially, who when they're in school or when they join a gallery, many times the financial piece, the business aspect of their careers is not discussed. So I really feel it's incumbent upon me to go one step further, apart from being a collector, apart from being a patron and sharing what I've learned, what I've experienced with them, the artists, so that they can have long, sustainable careers. And apart from just selling art, they can really organize their lives so that their lives are more meaningful, especially from a financial viewpoint. Well, thank you for being an outstanding patron of the arts and a supporter of artists. And I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Phyllis. It was absolute joy. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.